Hi, I'm John Visglosky, and this is Not So True Crime. In every episode, I share with you a new piece of original short fiction. On today's show, we're going to be reading a story called Binary. Set in the near future, in a world not too different from our own, it centers around a young man named Owen. In this new but familiar world, Technological advances have allowed for the creation of lifelike digital simulations, programs whose realistic settings and vivid characters have made them the most popular consumer product on the planet. But while some are eager to embrace this technology, others are wary of these digital playlands and the ways in which some have chosen to use them. Just a quick word of warning before we begin. This story does include a few brief descriptions of sexual assault. Although I'd encourage everyone out there to give this story a listen, I understand that these kinds of scenes can be sensitive for a lot of people, and I wanted to give everyone a quick heads up before we get started. Okay, now that the disclaimer is out of the way, this is Binary, written and read by John Visglosky. Owen Crowley was still at work, sitting at his desk, hunched over his computer, when he started to think about Lily. He could feel his pulse quicken, followed by a pleasing flutter in his belly, as he thought of all the things he would do to her when he got back home to his apartment that evening. He had just purchased a new module earlier that morning, loading it onto his personal gaming terminal right before he left for work, and he was eager to try it out almost to the point of distraction. He glanced restlessly at his watch. It was only 1.30, still a good four or five hours before he could leave and head home. He didn't know if he could make it that long. He rubbed a hand over his face and leaned forward toward his screens, doing his best to hunger down and focus on the lines of code he was supposed to be writing. An hour later, he'd done nothing his thoughts still focused stubbornly on Lily. Owen stood up from his chair, making his way through the clusters of desks to the line of large glass-walled offices that stood at the far end of the floor. Walking up to the nearest one, he leaned in through the door and knocked. Ted? he said. Ted looked up from his desk, frowning behind his customary pair of dark-rimmed reading glasses. Yeah, he said. I'm not feeling very well, Owen said. I think it might be something I ate. I was wondering if I could take off a bit early, work from home the rest of the day. Ted leaned back in his chair. Are you done with those new authentication protocols I asked you to write up? Not yet, Owen said. But I can finish them up from my terminal at home. If you want, I can send them to your inbox before I log off for the night. Okay, said Ted turning back to his desk. Feel better. Thanks, Owen said, walking back to his cluttered desk. Sliding his laptop into his bag, he turned and headed for the bank of elevators that would take him down to the main lobby. As he walked past a cluster of desks, one of the other programmers looked up at him. You heading out? Nira said, sitting cross-legged in her chair. 
She ran a hand through her long, dark hair, pushing it back out of her face. Yeah, Owen said, stopping next to her messy desk. My stomach's bugging me. I think I ate something weird for lunch. I'm gonna head home, work the rest of the day for my couch. Nira cocked her head to the side, giving him a sympathetic frown. Shit, that sucks. You want me to stop by after work, keep you company? I just downloaded that new version of Zombie Hunters onto my gaming terminal. I haven't played it yet, but it's supposed to be great, especially on multiplayer. We could load it onto your terminal and play. It might make you feel better. That's okay, Owen said, shifting the strap of his bag. Maybe next week. I think I'm just going to lay low. Maybe stream some TV. Okay, said Nira, popping in a small pair of earbuds. Just text me if you change your mind and want to help me kill some zombies. <laughs> Will do, said Owen, smiling. Giving her a tiny wave, he turned and walked across the floor toward the elevators. Thirty minutes later, he was in his apartment, the door shut firmly behind him. Leaving his bag on the floor, he stepped down the hall and into the small living room, where his gaming terminal sat in a shelf next to a plush leather armchair. Picking up the small synaptic transmitters, each no larger than his thumbnail, he placed them gently against his temples the conductive gel on the back of the small discs adhering softly to his skin. With both of the small transmitters in place, Owen pressed a button in the center of the terminal. It powered on with a soft, pleasing hum. Moments later, a menu appeared, floating just in front of his face. The words weren't really there. They were simply a mental projection an illusion that could only be seen by the person wearing the small plastic transmitters. Scrolling through the list of sims, he selected the program he downloaded that morning, the one titled Home Invasion. Instantly, his apartment disappeared, and Owen found himself standing in a patch of grass, looking up at a small house, warm light spilling out from behind a wide wall of windows. Above him, the sky was dark, lit only by a few glimmering stars. Owen looked down at himself. He was dressed completely in black, wearing dark jeans and a pair of boots, with a collarless shirt and a wool-knit cap. He was standing in a patch of shadows, hidden beneath the branches of a tree. He looked back up at the house. The place was small and modern. The rear wall made of floor-to-ceiling windows that offered a sweeping look of the interior. He could see Lily standing in the kitchen, chopping vegetables at the counter. She was wearing light jeans and a tight-fitting sweater, the shape of her breasts visible beneath the soft white fabric. Owen crept across the grass, crouching low as he went sticking close to the edge of the yard until he came to the back of the house. He stepped up to one of the sliding glass doors, pulling gently at the handle. The door was heavy, but unlocked. It slid silently upon its runners. Owen smiled to himself. He slipped through the open door, 
stepping into a large bedroom. The mattress piled high with cushions beneath the broad, floating headboard. Owen slid the door shut, then moved out into the hall, slipping past bathrooms and closets toward the bright, spacious kitchen. Lily was standing with her back to him, rinsing vegetables at the sink. A bottle of wine was open on the counter, next to a corkscrew and a half-finished glass. Owen came up behind her, wrapping an arm around her stomach and clamping his hand down over her mouth. She dropped the strainer with a loud clatter, her whole body stiffening with surprise and fear. He could feel her fumbling at his hands, struggling to pry them off. But Owen held on tight, pinning her close against his stomach. Owen leaned into her, whispering softly into her ear. Stop moving. Lily kept struggling, tugging frantically at his hands. Stop moving or I'll break your neck, he said, giving her a hard shake. The girl stopped squirming, her whole body going still. Good, Owen whispered. Do exactly what I say, and I won't hurt you. Understood? The girl paused, then nodded stiffly. Owen could feel her shaking, her thin body shivering with fear. Pinning her tightly against his chest, the crotch of his pants brushing up against her ass, he could feel himself start to stiffen. I need to ask you a question, he said. I'm going to take my hand off your mouth. Don't scream or try to run. I don't want to hurt you, but I will if you make me. Got it? Again, she nodded. Owen took his hand from her mouth. Lily stood silent, her body pressed tightly against him. Where do you keep your jewelry? He asked. In the jewelry box. In my bedroom, she said. Show me, he said, loosening his grip. She led the way down the hall, Owen following one step behind, gripping her firmly by the arm. She moved into the large bedroom through which Owen had first entered. Over there, she said, gesturing at a small cream-colored box with a mirrored lid and a row of small pull drawers. He guided her firmly toward the bed, pushing her down to sit on the edge. Don't move, he said. Lily nodded. He stepped across the room to the box, pawing through the tiny drawers, pulling out earrings and rings, stuffing them into the pockets of his jeans. Please, not that, she said, as Owen pulled out a thin bracelet studded with small, sparkling diamonds. He turned back and looked at her, holding up the slender band. Please, she said her eyes wide as she stared up at him. You can take anything else you want. Just, please, don't take that bracelet. Why not, he said. Lily looked down at her hands. It was my grandmother's, she said. It's the only thing of hers I have left. It was your grandmother's, Owen said. She nodded. That means it's old, he said, which probably means it's expensive. He closed his hand around the bracelet, slipping it into his back pocket. No, please, said Lily, lifting her hand as if to stop him. Maybe I can give you something else. 
something better than a bracelet. Like what? She rose slowly from the bed, taking a small step toward him. She reached down with one hand, undoing the button on her pants. Owen could see the dark edge of a pair of black lace underwear. I don't know, he said. Come on, Lily said, taking another step toward him. She lifted her sweater over her head, dropping it onto the floor next to the bed. Her voice had dropped to a breathy whisper as she moved steadily closer to him. I can do things for you that are worth more than a bracelet. Please, just let me show you. Owen could feel himself start to harden as Lily took another step toward him. Owen Crowley didn't think that he was a bad person. He'd never cheated on his taxes or committed a crime or hurt anyone. Even as a young kid, he'd never really gotten into trouble. He knew that some of the things he did with the Lily program might seem a little twisted, but she was only a digital simulation. A few lines of code nothing more. You couldn't actually hurt her for the simple reason that she couldn't feel anything. It would be like saying that you were hurting a piece of software by ripping out fragments of old code. Even so, he understood why some people might be uncomfortable with it. The original Lily program was the brainchild of a brilliant young programmer, a man named Arlen Gibson. He had designed it while still a student, at the terminal in his Stanford dorm room. Originally, the program was intended to be used by members of the space program and military, a way for soldiers and astronauts in training to experience a range of dangerous settings without any risk of physical injury. Using Gibson's immersive sim, recruits in the military could participate in hundreds of simulated battles without being wounded or killed. It wasn't until Gibson shared the program with one of his classmates and friends, a student named Pete Dalton, who was majoring in computer science and business, that the program's designer became aware of its potential for more popular applications. After Dalton told Gibson how little the government was likely to pay to license his new, brilliant creation, he convinced him to redesign the sim and market it instead to consumers. With Gibson creating the tech and Dalton luring in investors, the two dropped out of school to start their own technology firm, a company that they called Binary at Gibson's urging. 18 months after they dropped out, the first version of the Lilly program was officially launched. Within the first 12 hours of its release, it attracted more than a million users. By the end of that first week, that number had swelled to more than 10 million, with an average of 900 downloads every minute. Three years after the first launch, Gibson and Dalton took their company public, the value of a share of binary stock soaring to more than $2,000. By the end of that first day of trading, 
Both men had become billionaires many times over. From the beginning, both Dalton and Gibson were careful to point out that their company's flagship program had any number of beneficial uses. Not only could it help those with autism experience a range of social interactions, it allowed children with severe physical disfigurements to learn to interact with others. Dalton, in particular, was quick to mention in profiles and interviews the story of a young girl badly burned during a house fire who had used one of Binary's programs to overcome her fear of being seen by other children. Then there was the story of the little boy, paralyzed since birth, who had used the company's proprietary sims to experience the sensation of walking for the first time. The stories had been repeated so many times that few, if any, of the reporters who heard them still bothered to remind Dalton that the vast majority of his company's users were not burn victims or paralyzed children, but young and middle-aged men, most of whom were interested only in the sleazier uses of the company's invention. Hey, Owen. Owen looked up from his desk. Nira was standing next to his chair, wearing dark jeans and a gray sweater, holding the strap of her messenger bag in one slender hand. He swiveled around in his chair, pulling out one of his earbuds. Hey, he said. A few of us are going to grab some drinks at that new sushi place down the street. She gestured at a small group of programmers standing next to the bank of elevators. You want to come with? Their happy hour lasts until eight. I don't know, he said, glancing back at his dual screens. I was going to try to finish up this update patch before I headed out for the day. Do it tomorrow, Nira said. That patch isn't due for a week. Come on, Andy just broke up with his boyfriend. He already promised to buy everyone a drink. Okay, Owen said, pushing back from his desk. Great, Nira said giving a small smile. They walked the few blocks to the sushi shop, everyone talking and laughing loudly, Nira sticking close to Owen. As promised, Andy bought the first round, handing out bottles of Japanese beer. There were no tables large enough to seat all of them, so they pulled a few of the smaller ones together and started ordering plates of sushi. Nira sat next to Owen, picking slices of salmon off his plate. He hadn't intended to stay for long, maybe an hour, two at the most. But almost before Owen knew it, it was past ten, and he and Nira were the only ones left, sitting alone at the long, empty table, sipping bottles of cold beer. I saw that patch you did on that messaging app, she said, taking a sip of her beer, setting the bottle down with a clink. That was a pretty piece of code. Thanks, said Owen. But I can't take all the credit. Tracy helped out a lot on that project. Yeah, but you still wrote most of it, Nira said, leaning back on the padded bench. She ran a hand through her long, dark hair, which had spilled down in front of her face. Have you ever thought about writing your own program? Not just working as a contractor, but putting something of your own out there? Sometimes, Owen said. So why don't you? She asked. He shrugged. I don't know what kind of program I would even write. 
I'm not creative enough to come up with anything good. At least not anything anyone would use. Bullshit, said Nira, smiling at him. That just means you haven't thought about it hard enough. Okay then, he said. What kind of program would you write? She thought. I'd write some kind of crowdfunding platform to help fund projects to dig wells. What? Owen said. You know, like wells for water. Okay. It sounds stupid, said Nira, but it's actually one of the biggest problems in developing countries. A lot of places don't have access to clean water, and people end up having to walk all day just to get a couple of gallons. It isn't even all that expensive to dig a well, but a lot of countries can't do it because it's too hard to transfer currency. So I'd make some kind of program where you could pool all these tiny donations and then make transfers really quickly across currencies. Get the money to the people who really needed it. Okay, Owen said. But couldn't a program like that, something that makes transferring currencies easier, be used by drug cartels to launder money? Maybe, said Nira. But terrorists can also use fucking Facebook to organize a get-together. He laughed. I'm serious, Nira said. Look, no program is inherently good or bad. It's all just ones and zeros. A program is like any other tool. It just depends on how you use it. I can use a hammer to build a house, or I can use it to bash in somebody's skull. Then maybe we should head home, said Owen, before you use those chopsticks to poke out somebody's eye. Nira giggled. <laughs> Sorry, she said. I'm a little drunk. Was the whole hammer example too gruesome? Only if I'm the one getting his brains bashed in. No, of course not, she said. Ted, maybe, but not you. They both laughed. Owen paid what was left of the check, and they walked out into the cool night air, Nira stumbling a little, clinging tightly to his arm for balance. I'll order you a ride, he said pulling his phone out of his pocket and opening his ride-sharing app. They waited together on the pavement until the driverless car pulled up. Owen pulled open the door and guided Nira inside. As he was handing her into the car, she whirled around and kissed him hard. Owen was so surprised he didn't even kiss her back. I'm sorry, she said, letting out a nervous breath. I've had a lot to drink. I shouldn't have done that. No, it, it's fine, he said. I was just surprised, but I'm, I'm glad you did. She looked up at him. You are? Yeah. Good, Nira said, giving a small, private grin. Maybe we can do it again. Sometime when I haven't had 18 beers. He laughed. Yeah, sounds good. Nira climbed into the waiting car, still smiling to herself. Owen shut the door behind her, then stood on the curb and watched as it drove off. He walked a few short blocks, catching a tram at the nearest stop. He sat in the seat by himself and spent the whole ride thinking of Nira, the taste of her quick, drunken kiss still lingering on his lips. By the time he got back to his apartment, 
It was nearly one. Owen looked at his watch and frowned. He had to get up in six hours to start getting ready for work. He knew that he should take a piss, climb into bed, and go straight to sleep. But he didn't. Instead, he drank down a glass of water, then sat in the chair next to his terminal. Picking up the small, synaptic transmitters, he pressed them gently against his temples, powering up the small terminal and accessing the Lily program. Scrolling through the list of sims, he selected the one titled Drunken Bar Pickup. Owen's apartment disappeared, replaced by a loud, smoky bar. The place was crowded with people, all of them drinking and jostling for space. He looked down at himself. He was wearing a blue-buttoned shirt with a pair of dark jeans and scuffed leather boots. He could see Lily through the crowd, standing at the other end of the bar. She was dressed in a tight floral print top with a short skirt and matching black pumps. Clutching tightly to a glass of wine, she was leaning unsteadily against the wall, looking as if she might fall down, or at the very least, throw up. Turning away from the crowded bar, she ducked into a narrow hall, heading for the dingy bathrooms. Pushing his way through the tightly packed crowd, he followed her into the lightless hall, music thumping loudly from the bar, so loud it made his ears hurt. He tried to remind himself that it was only a simulation, and that his eardrums weren't actually being damaged. Owen pushed open the nearest door, stepping into the women's tiny bathroom. The moment he was in, he pulled it shut, locking the small metal bolt. Lily was leaning over the sink, hair spilling in front of her face, her glass of white wine standing half-drunk near the edge of the counter. She was running the tap and moaning softly, weaving atop her tall black pumps, still looking very much as if she might throw up. Owen came up behind her, placed a hand on the small of her back. Lily seemed not even to notice. She leaned forward, gripping the sink, still moaning softly under her breath. Owen took a step closer, pressing his crotch into her hip. He leaned over, slowly, kissing the back of her neck. At last, she seemed to notice him, lifting an arm and swatting gently at him. He kissed her neck again, one hand slipping around her slender waist. Again, she fumbled at him, trying to pull away, mumbling incoherently. Owen kissed her bare shoulder, pulling her body into his. She tried feebly to pull away, but he had her firmly by the waist. With his free hand, he pulled up her skirt until it was bunched around her stomach. Lily struggled against him, trying to twist out of his grip. Owen held on tight, the muscles in his simulated arms strong and taut. He could hear someone knocking at the door, wondering how long until he was done. He ignored them. Still holding Lily by the waist, he tugged at her pair of stringy underwear until they hung limp at her ankles. She was still pushing him away, voice rising as she moaned louder. Owen could barely hear her above the thumping beat of the music. Pressing her forward into the sink, 
He reached down with one hand and unbuttoned his pants. For as much as he now used it, Owen had initially been reluctant to try out the first Lily Sim, popular as it had been. The first version of the program had been available for more than two years by the time he finally got around to trying it. Back then, the whole sim had been rather simplistic, with only a few dozen programs and a limited range of interactions. Yet even with these limitations and glitches, that initial model had still been a wonder, fully immersive and interactive in a way that was unlike any sim or game he had ever played. At first, he had been too nervous to try one of the sexual programs for himself. Instead, he decided to run one of the many conversational modules. One moment, he was sitting in his apartment, staring out the narrow window. The next, he was in a coffee shop, sitting across from a beautiful girl, a warm cup of cappuccino sitting on the table in front of him. He could still remember lifting that cup to his lips, marveling at the fact that he could actually taste the drink, feel the warmth of the liquid on his skin. They had sat for hours talking, both of them sipping their drinks, chatting about their jobs and families, and within minutes he had forgotten completely that he was speaking to a program rather than an actual person. Even with her early quirks and glitches, that was how real Lily had seemed. When she reached out and touched his hand, he could actually feel the warmth of her skin, feel the faint rhythmic beat of the blood pulsing through her simulated veins. Logging off from the simulation, he'd come back to his tiny apartment with a faint sense of dissatisfaction at re-emerging into the physical world, only to find her missing from it. The program came with a menu of settings so that each individual user could tailor the Lily character to his or her liking. After some thought and experimentation, Owen had made his default version of Lily Indian. She was tall, with long black hair, a thin waist, and large breasts. They were all fairly common parameters, all except her nationality. From what he'd learned on the binary message boards, the preferred version of the Lily program was typically blonde and white. These personalized physical settings also extended to the program's user, even though Owen himself was skinny and of no more than average height, he could make his avatar in the program as tall or as strong or as fast as he liked. Just as he had with Lily herself, he'd played around with these user settings until he found a version he liked, an avatar that looked much like his physical self, only taller and with stronger muscles. At first, he dialed the strength settings all the way up, which had been temporarily fun. It had been amusing to walk around picking up couches and flipping over cars like some kind of superhuman. Yet before long, he discovered that dialing up his strength settings as high as they would go made it impossible to make any kind of precise movement without destroying whatever he wanted to touch. Even just picking up a cup of coffee became impossible as the porcelain would often shatter the moment he grabbed it. After a brief trial run, he had dialed back the strength of his digital avatar to a more manageable level. His avatar was still much stronger than his physical self had ever been, 
but neither could he crush a block of concrete using only his bare fists. Yet despite these new and innovative features, it was a long time before Owen tried one of the sexual sims. He knew that Lily was only a program, a piece of code, nothing more, and that there was nothing strictly wrong with sampling some of her more adult protocols, but he was still slow to try them for himself. Something about it just felt wrong. Maybe it was the level of detail, the unsettling sense of humanity, that uncanny but unwavering feeling that it was all somehow impossibly real. Owen couldn't say for sure. In any case, he'd had the program for a few months before he got curious enough to try one of the many sexual modules. He'd been working a lot at the time, hadn't dated anyone in months, and he was beginning to feel rather lonely. So he sat in the chair next to his terminal and pulled up the long list of programs, selecting the one titled First Date Restaurant. Instantly the room fell away, replaced by a busy city street. Looking up, he saw Lily, wearing a black dress and heels, smiling as she walked toward him, tucking her hair behind one ear. Hey, she said shyly, her voice sounding soft and breathy. Hey, he said back, his mouth feeling suddenly dry. I'm glad we're finally doing this, she said. Me too, Owen said. Slipping into a nearby restaurant, Lily clinging tightly to his arm, they sat at a table in the back, away from all the other customers. Lily leaned toward him as they spoke, her knee occasionally brushing his. Whenever he said something that made her laugh, she would lean in and squeeze his hand. They'd finished their meal and were waiting for their server to come back from the kitchen with their coffees when Lily reached beneath the table, giving his leg an affectionate squeeze. They got up and left without bothering to pay the check. They walked together through the chilly streets, Lily leaning into him. She led him across town to her building, spinning around and kissing him as soon as they were in the elevator. By the time they'd gotten out into the hall and were through the door to her spacious apartment, half her clothes were already off. They didn't even make it to the bedroom. She pushed him down onto the couch and sat straddling him. After it was done, they lay together on the floor, both of them still breathing hard, Owen's chest covered in sweat. Turning onto his side, he stared at her. What? she said when she caught him staring. Why are you looking at me like that? Because, Owen said, you're perfect. Lily snorted. Why? Because I just fucked you? No, he said. You just are. Pushing up onto his elbow, he leaned over and kissed her softly. How's it going? said a voice. Owen looked up from his desk. Nero was standing over him, wearing jeans and a baggy t-shirt, headphones wrapped around her neck. He leaned back in his chair, plucking out his tiny earbuds. What's that? He said. I said, how's it going? She nodded at his glowing screens. Owen gave a tired smile. Slow, 
She smiled back. Same here. I think this is the first time I've gotten up from my desk all day. She paused, looked down at the floor. I was going to head downstairs, grab a coffee from the cafeteria. You want to come? Owen glanced back at his terminal, squinting at the dense lines of code. I don't know, he said. The security patch still needs a lot of work. All the more reason to get some coffee, she said. The caffeine will help you code faster. Come on, I'm buying. He frowned. I thought everything in the cafeteria was free. Fine, she said. I'll throw in a bagel. Owen grinned. Okay, he said, pushing back in his chair. They walked down to the cafeteria, getting two fresh cups of coffee and carrying them out to the sunny courtyard. They sat at one of the picnic tables, scattered throughout the grass, Nira blowing carefully on her coffee to try and cool it. For a few moments they sat in silence, taking slow, careful sips. So, how's it going? said Nira, still looking down at her cup. I feel like I haven't seen you in a week. I think the last time we talked was at that happy hour for Andy. Yeah, sorry, said Owen. Ted's been all over me this week. I haven't had a chance to breathe. Oh, said Nira, not looking up from her cup. I thought maybe you were avoiding me because I got drunk and basically tried to assault you. He laughed. <laughs> no, definitely not, he said. Things have just been so busy. I haven't had a chance to come up for air. Good, Nira said, giving a relieved grin. I was kind of starting to wonder whether I owed you an apology. You don't, he said, reaching across the table and taking her hand. I'm sorry. I should have talked to you sooner. I guess I just got a little distracted. That's okay, she said, smiling and squeezing his hand. But if you're looking for a way to make it up to me, there's a new horror hollow movie playing at the Avalon Theater. Apparently, it's so scary, the theater won't let you buy a ticket if you have any kind of heart condition. You made that up, he said. Okay, yes, I did, she said. But it is supposed to be really scary. What's it called? he asked. Waking Death, Nira said. Owen grinned. I'm surprised you haven't already seen it. She shrugged. I was waiting for somebody to take me. Owen took a sip of his coffee. What are you doing Saturday? He asked. Owen knew there were a lot of people, many of them women, who had become incredibly upset with the way the Lily Sim was being used. The release of the first-gen Lily program had even inspired a rash of protests. It had also sparked the creation of several well-known organizations, including the National Association for Cyber Safety and the Society for Digital Equality, known to most people as the SDE. The latter was headed by a former attorney, a woman named Camilla Reyes, who'd spent the past several decades prosecuting sex crimes at the state and federal levels. She was short with long, dark hair that was often pulled back in a ponytail. 
and had the kind of firm, unflappable bearing that came from years of prosecuting felons. Owen had seen her several times, being interviewed by various anchors and pundits. Lily was big business, and Binary was the richest company on the planet. The corporation and its digital creation were the constant focus of public attention, and stories about either one were streamed endlessly on news and info sites. Reyes was a favorite guest on all the morning news programs, a counterpoint to whatever oily hack emerged from Binary's Office of Media Relations. The last time Owen had seen her, it had been several weeks earlier. She had been invited onto one of the top morning shows to discuss a recent criminal case that was starting to make national headlines. Days before, a man in Pennsylvania had kidnapped and killed his ex-girlfriend, binding her hands and legs with duct tape before slitting her throat and dumping her body in a landfill. After his arrest, it had come out that the suspect was a frequent user of the Lily program, including many of the violent bondage and rape fantasy sims. Sitting in a corner of her office, framed by a bank of windows, Reyes had beamed in via satellite to debate the show's other guest, a smarmy PR crisis specialist that Binary kept on retainer. It is undeniable, Reyes had said, speaking in her calm, prosecutor's tone, that the program created and sold by Mr. Meyer's clients has had an incredibly harmful impact on many of its most frequent users. That is ridiculous, Myers said, shaking his thin, bald head. While Miss Reyes is certainly entitled to her opinion, in this case, frankly, I think she's overreacting. Really, said Reyes. Yes, Myers said. In spite of all the panic that you and your organization have tried to create, the fact is that the Lily simulation has helped hundreds of millions of users all over the world. And how exactly would you say it's helped them? asked Reyes. By encouraging them to abandon the real world in favor of the digital one that you've created? If that's their desire, yes, Myers said. Hmm. Reyes nodded. And what if their desire is to tie a woman up and force her to engage in anal sex? On the other side of the screen, Myers twitched. What if they want to beat her with a whip or rape someone who's unconscious? Reyes pressed. Can your client's program provide its users with those kinds of experiences? Myers paused. Yes, it can, he said. As Miss Reyes is doubtless aware, the Lily Sim is a highly advanced program. It is both adaptable and extremely variable. It's capable of providing users with a wide range of experiences, even those that many of us might find reprehensible. And that's the problem, isn't it? said Reyes. As long as your clients refuse to restrict the ways in which their program can be used, consumers will remain free to engage in these types of violent rape fantasies. And what would you suggest? Myers asked. As much as I share your distaste for these kinds of disgusting sims, it isn't the job of my clients to go around imposing their own set of moral standards. They have no right and no interest in telling their users how to behave. 
Unlike Ms. Reyes, Binary has no desire to intrude upon the rights and freedoms of its users. This isn't about consumer freedom, said Reyes. It's about basic human empathy and corporate responsibility. Whether or not your company wants to admit it, the proliferation of rape fantasy sims has been incredibly harmful for both male users and women. If Binary isn't careful, there are going to be real and lasting consequences. That was where Owen had left it. He was late to catch the tram to work and had to run out the door. Besides, it seemed like the two guests had cycled through all their talking points and were just starting to repeat themselves. He got where people like Reyes were coming from. There were definitely a lot of modules out there that were pretty fucked up. He'd done things in several of the Sims that he never would have with any real-life girl. But that was kind of the point of the program, as far as he saw it. To work through all those bad impulses, to purge them from his system. If anything, that was the benefit of the program. It allowed him and millions of other users to play out their darkest fantasies in a way that was completely harmless. Even so, Reyes and her colleagues at the SDE didn't exactly see things the same way. Two times in the last three years, the binary servers had been shut down by hackers. The second time, it had taken more than a week of round-the-clock coding by an army of engineers to get the Lily program back up and running. Nobody knew who the hackers were, but the company had fired four of its own programmers, as well as its head of network security. The consensus on all of the binary message boards was that the SDE, or some other digital women's organization, had paid the four programmers to pull off the attack, or else hired foreign hackers to break into the company's servers. After the second attack, the company had tried to appease its critics by releasing a hastily created beta version of the Lily program, a male counterpart named Asa. Unfortunately for the company and its defenders, the Asa program was notoriously glitchy and proved to be only mildly popular among Binary's gay and female users. Most importantly, he did nothing to quiet the rising tide of detractors who felt that the company and its founders were being irresponsible in their refusal to restrict the ways in which their product was being used. Owen was late in getting to the theater. By the time he hopped off the tram, it was only ten minutes before the movie was scheduled to start, and he had to make a run for it. Nero was waiting beneath the marquee which was projecting an image of a pale, rotting zombie, its dead flesh reanimated by some implausible virus. Above the snarling image of the corpse floated the words of the film's title, outlined in large, oozing red letters. Nira smiled when she saw him, threading through the line of people waiting to purchase their tickets. Hey, she said, giving him an unexpected hug. Owen didn't get his arms up in time, and she pinned them awkwardly at his sides. So, he said, hesitantly, that's quite the zombie they've got up there. Yeah, Nira said, looking up at the gruesome image. They hired this really talented makeup artist to do all the zombie effects for the movie. 
Well, hopefully they're not too good, said Owen. I'm not really a big horror fan. Really? said Nira, her face falling. Sorry, I, I didn't know. Do you want to see something else? We don't have to see a horror movie if you're not into it. No, it, it's fine, said Owen, giving a reassuring smile. I just wanted to give you a heads up, in case I start screaming like a little girl. She laughed. That's okay, Nira said, taking him by the hand. Maybe it'll distract from how much I'm covering my eyes. In spite of Owen's skepticism, the movie turned out to be silly fun. The plot made little sense and was filled with a parade of tired cliches, but the makeup on the zombies was top-notch, and it had a few effective scares. Once or twice, Nira cringed, burying her face in Owen's arm, which sent a little jolt of delight darting through his stomach. After the movie was finished and the lights in the hollow theater came up, they walked arm in arm down the block, turning into a nearby ramen bar. They sat together at the counter, knees almost touching, and ordered bowls of steaming noodles with bottles of cold Japanese beer. Thanks for indulging me in going to that movie, said Nira, slurping down a hot bundle of noodles. It was fun, said Owen. Actually, I kind of enjoyed it. She gave him a skeptical look. Well, I enjoyed watching you get grossed out and cower in fear, he said, taking a sip of beer. Of course, said Nira, hitting his arm playfully. Really, though, thanks for going. My ex never went to any horror flicks with me. Why not? He asked. Not a big zombie fan? More like he wasn't a fan of us doing things together, she said. I think that was kind of our problem. We didn't like any of the same things. We were always hanging out separately with different friends. It's hard to maintain a connection if you don't spend any time together. Owen nodded. Nira frowned and shook her head. Sorry, she said. I didn't mean to turn this whole date into a conversation about my ex. That's okay, Owen said. I don't mind. Really. What about you? She asked. When was your last breakup? A couple years ago, he said. Actually, this is my first date in a while. I guess I've just been too busy with work to focus on anything else. That's surprising, Nira said. Owen gave her a look. Not the part about you being busy, just that you haven't been on a date in a while. Why is that surprising? He asked. Well, you're smart and you're cute, and honestly, you're pretty good at it. The whole being on a date thing. Really? Said Owen, smiling. Nira smiled back. I mean, not so good that you don't have to pay for my dinner and then take me out for ice cream afterward. Okay, said Owen, laughing. Got it. Leaning over, Nira kissed him. They got two small cups of ice cream at a stall not far from the bar, eating them with tiny spoons as they wandered through a nearby park. As soon as they had finished their treats, Nira glanced at her watch. Shit, it's almost one, she said. I guess I should get home. Yeah, me too, said Owen. You want to get a ride share together? Sure, he said. 
Three minutes later, a driverless car pulled up to the curb where they were waiting. Owen opened the door, helping Nira in. As soon as they were both in, and the car had pulled out into traffic, Nira turned on the seat and started kissing him. Owen lifted one hand, cupping the back of her neck. He slipped the other under her shirt, expecting her to push it away. When she didn't, he lifted it higher, running it up onto her breast. Nira moaned softly, pressing into him. Feeling encouraged, he reached down, touching her between her legs. Nira pulled her face away. Whoa, she said, clenching her legs. Sorry, Owen said, jerking back his hand. It's okay, she said. I just think we should take our time. We don't have to go too fast, you know? Yeah, no, Owen said, shaking his head, feeling embarrassed. The car pulled up to the curb, rolling to a gentle stop. This is me, said Nira, opening the door and climbing out. Owen shifted over on the seat, watching her through the open window. She was almost to the door of her building when Nira stopped and turned back to look at him. What are you doing next Friday? she asked. Nothing I can think of. Why? she grinned. Well, I've still got the new Zombie Hunters game, and I haven't played it yet. And I figured, since you're such a big horror fan now, you might want to play it with me. He grinned. I think I could be talked into it. Good, said Nira. How about I come by your place after work, and we can load in onto your terminal? We can try to beat the first few levels and order some Thai food or something. Sounds perfect, said Owen. Good, said Nira. Turning away from the driverless car, she walked through the door and into the lobby. Owen couldn't say when his taste in Lily modules had changed. The only thing he knew was that it had. For a long time after he started using them, he stuck mostly to the same small class of sims, those that the most frequent users had dubbed Tier 1 sims. These were what the hardcore users had deemed the most mundane, sims with titles like Coffee Date or Dinner in a Movie. The tiers in this user-made ranking system progressed all the way to 6, with 6 being the most extreme, the kind of dark and violent sims that not even Owen had the stomach to sample. He didn't know what kind of person was into these tier 6s, but whoever it was, it wasn't him. For a long time, he was satisfied sticking with his tier 1s. And yet, after a few years of cycling through the same 20 or 30 sims, he found himself losing interest. The scenarios no longer seemed as stimulating, the environments no longer so vivid. One night, on a whim, he decided to run one of the Tier 2s, something called Summer Camp Seduction. In it, he played the part of a camp counselor who slept with one of his underage campers. The program had started with him sneaking out of the dining hall during dinner to smoke a cigarette by the pier. Lily had been sitting at the edge of the lake, staring out at the fireflies that fluttered just above the water. For a while, they stood and talked, sharing the forbidden cigarette. 
After a few minutes, she asked if he wanted to go for a swim. When he said yes, she stripped off all her clothes and dove into the warm water with a splash. He stripped down and followed her in, making his way to a small diving platform that was anchored out in the center of the lake. There, on that bobbing wooden raft, with the lake still dripping from their hair, they had sex, Lily sitting on top of him. Afterward, they lay on their backs, looking up at the starry sky. As soon as he ended the program, he knew that he would never go back to using any of the Tier 1s again. From then on, he had run nothing but Tier 2s, until those, too, became routine. And then again, one night, curious, he had downloaded and ran a Tier 3. Now he was up to Tier 4, though he had lately begun to suspect that these two would one day fail to excite and interest him. When that happened, as it surely would, would he really be willing to log on and try a Tier 5? He'd sampled a few once or twice, just out of sheer morbid curiosity, and had frankly found them to be off-putting, more disturbing than arousing. Yet that had been a while ago, back when he was still running Tier 2s. Would he look differently on those 5s now, given all the new sims he'd experienced? Maybe. There was only one way to know for sure, and that was to try them again. He was in the kitchen, chopping up peppers and scooping them onto a nearby plate, when he heard his phone ping. Wiping his hands off on a dish towel, he reached over and tapped the screen. It was Nira texting him, letting him know that she was downstairs. He sent her the building's entrance code, along with his apartment number. Moments later, he heard the door open, followed by the sound of Nira's voice. Hello? she called, pausing just inside the door. In here, said Owen. I'm in the kitchen. She walked out from the hall, holding her purse and a bottle of wine. Hey, she said, walking around the cluttered counter and giving him a quick kiss. I wasn't sure what kind of wine you're supposed to bring for a night of zombie killing, but I figured it should probably be something red. She held the bottle out to him. Owen took it from her and grinned. Good choice, he said. Nira smiled back. Making some snacks? she asked. Killing zombies is hard work. You don't want to do it on an empty stomach. Good thinking, Nira said, picking up a slice of pepper. Tell you what, she said, walking out from the narrow kitchen. Why don't you open that bottle of wine, and I can log onto your terminal and load up the sim? Sounds good, said Owen. My access code is 8370. 8370, repeated Nira, walking into the other room. Owen reached into the cupboard and pulled out two stemless wine glasses. Filling them from the bottle, he carried them out into the living room. Nira was sitting on the couch, her face fixed in a solemn frown. As soon as he walked in, she reached up and plucked off the small synaptic transmitters, placing them on the coffee table next to her. Are we ready to go? said Owen, still grinning. Nira looked up at him. You forgot to close out of your account the last time your terminal shut down, 
It was still running your last program when I logged on. Something called Drunken Bar Pickup? Owen felt his stomach tighten. I only saw a few seconds of it before I closed it out, but it looked pretty... fucked up. She sighed. Owen set the glasses down. Nira, I'm sorry, he said. I'm sorry you saw that. I should have closed it out. It was just a stupid sex sim somebody sent me. I don't even know why I tried it. Nira gave a bitter laugh. Your user history was open, she said. The whole thing was full of sex sims. And just judging from the titles, a lot of them seem pretty fucked. Owen folded his arms across his chest. I'm sorry. I don't... I don't know what to say. Yeah. Well, me neither, said Nira. She stood up from the couch, walking past him into the front hall. Where are you going? asked Owen. Where does it look like? said Nira. I'm leaving. You just got here, said Owen. I thought we were going to eat dinner. I guess I'm just not feeling very hungry. He let out a sharp breath. So what, you find a couple of sex sims in my user history and now you don't want to have dinner with me? She nodded. Pretty much. Owen looked down at the floor. I thought we were having fun. I thought we were having a good time hanging out. So did I, said Nira, pulling on her dark coat. He paused. Nira, it's just a couple of sex sims. Everyone uses them. Why is this a big deal? It's a big deal, said Nira, turning on him, because your entire fucking user history is full of some pretty sick shit. You think I don't know the kind of stuff that guys do in those sims? Half of them are rape fantasies, Owen, and the other half are all assault vids. Just reading some of those fucking titles was enough to make my skin crawl. None of it's real, said Owen, softly. They're all just sensory sims. That's not the fucking point, said Nira. Just because it's not real doesn't make it fucking okay. Jesus, she shook her head. How am I supposed to go out with someone who's into that kind of shit? Someone who gets off on the idea of rape? The idea of fucking someone who's too drunk to fight them off? How can I go out with you and not wonder every time we have sex whether you're thinking about me or one of those fucking sims? I'm sorry, said Owen. I didn't think it was such a big deal. Well, it fucking is, said Nira. She lifted a hand to her head, pushing her hair out of her face. My fucking ex was into all that shit. It took me a goddamn year to figure it out. It was half the reason I ended up breaking up with him. I always wondered why he wouldn't give me his access code or let me log on to his terminal. I had to hack into his fucking account before I could find out the kind of programs he was running. He used them all the time. He told me he was just playing games. Sometimes he'd even sneak out of bed while I was asleep so he could log on and fuck his little digital dream girl. He said all that same bullshit when I went to him and told him I knew what kind of sims he was using. All that shit about it not being real about how he wasn't actually hurting anybody. He said it was all digital, so none of it was actually cheating. Like, that was somehow the problem with it. He didn't even understand why it made me so upset. Okay, so why is it? asked Owen. Nira shook her head. Owen 
Your whole terminal is full of fucked up sims with women getting raped and beaten. Even if none of them are real, what the fuck does it say about you that that's something you want to experience? Look, said Owen, I get why you're mad, but I told you, I haven't dated anyone for a couple of years. I was feeling really lonely when I started using those sims. They were just a way for me to connect with something. A way for me to feel less alone. Nira gave a bitter laugh. <laughs> so what? She said. You're so fucking pathetic you can't convince a real woman to fuck you? So you load up a bunch of sims where you fantasize about forcing them to? No, said Owen, growing frustrated. That's not what it was about. Okay, said Nira. Then maybe it was just so you could fantasize about forcing me. He paused. What are you talking about? He said, his mouth dry, throat tight. Nira gave another harsh laugh. Owen, the fucking Lily program in that sim looked just like me. All you did was make her thinner and give her big porn star tits. Other than that, it's basically me. She's like me, only perfect. She's the way you wish I looked. She paused. What did you do? Did, did you take a picture of me off social media, scan it into your sim? Jesus, no, said Owen. Then what? Nira spat. You just adjusted the user preferences until you got it right? Jesus, Owen, you've been using that thing to fantasize about fucking me. Can you even comprehend how it feels for someone to violate you like that? How fucking embarrassed and sick I am thinking about what you've been doing with that sim? I thought you were my fucking friend. For a moment, her voice caught in her throat, and Owen thought she might start to cry. I am, he said, his voice soft and hesitant. No, you're not, Nira said. You're not my fucking friend. For a moment, they stood in silence, neither knowing what to say next. When Nira turned and opened the door, Owen didn't try to stop her. She stepped out into the hall and turned, tears welling at the corners of her eyes. Don't fucking call me, she said. Don't even try to talk to me. If Ted or whoever else tries to put you on a project with me, just tell them we went on a couple of dates and that it ended badly and you'd rather work with somebody else. She turned and headed for the elevator, pulling the heavy door shut. For a while he stood in the front hall, leaning against the door listening as the sound of her quick, angry footsteps grew softer and softer. All that weekend, Owen was anxious at the thought of seeing Nira again. What if she filed a complaint against him, accused him of digital harassment, or what if he went into the office and she simply refused to look at him? Honestly, he didn't know which was worse. By Monday morning, he was so nervous that he called in and requested a week of leave, giving some vague excuse about his grandfather having fallen sick. His supervisor gave a sympathetic coup before wishing his grandfather a speedy recovery. He spent the whole week at home, playing old games on his terminal and ordering takeout. He tried running the Lily program, thinking that it might help to distract him, 
but the whole sim had been taken down, and there was no estimate from Binary as to when it might be back online. The only thing he saw when he tried to access one of the modules was a flashing red error message stating that the popular Lily program was suffering a temporary failure and that the company's engineers were working diligently to diagnose and resolve the problem. After three days of fruitless waiting, with the program still unavailable, Owen logged on to his online account and started combing through the binary message boards. According to many of the commenters, a significant number of binary servers had been taken offline. Although nobody at the company was talking, there were whispers among many of the users that Binary had been the victim of yet another cyber assault aimed at taking down its most prominent and popular product. The latest attack had been devastating, injecting bits of malicious software into every one of Lily's core systems. Although the company's army of engineers was working around the clock to correct the issue, there was little hope that they would succeed in anything less than six or seven weeks. Even though the hackers had failed to take Lily offline permanently, Binary was still going to lose millions in the two months that she was likely to be out of commission. Although no one had yet claimed responsibility, the most popular theory was that the hack had been paid for and conceived by Camilla Reyes and the SDE. For his part, Owen didn't particularly care who was behind the hack or how they'd pulled it off. The only thing that really mattered was how long he would have to wait before Lily was back online. Other than his fight with Nera, it was the only thing he could ever think about. On the day he went back to work, Owen took the stairs, rather than ride up in the elevator, so that he would come out on the opposite end of the floor and wouldn't have to walk past Nira's desk. Leaning his bag against his desk and settling back into his chair, he looked across the crowded office. Nira was sitting cross-legged at her desk, staring intently at her screens and listening to music on a pair of earbuds. He watched her for a few minutes, waiting for her to look up and see him but she never did. She just sat, tapping away, hunched over her glowing screens. All that day, Owen waited for her to turn and look in his direction, but she barely stirred from her desk, getting up only to use the bathroom or fetch a snack from the kitchen. Even when she got up at the end of the day, walking out with a few of her deskmates, she barely glanced in his direction. For the rest of that week, she seemed utterly determined not to come near or even look at him. It was as if she had forgotten him completely, as if he had somehow ceased to exist. Owen was, of course, annoyed by all this, but he knew better than to try and speak to her. She couldn't go on ignoring him forever, and maybe, if he just gave her enough time, she'd get it all out of her system, and they could be friends again. But after two months of Nira refusing to so much as look at him, Owen's patience was wearing thin. He kept looking for opportunities to catch her by herself so they could talk. But Nira was popular with the other programmers, and she hardly ever left the office alone, usually walking in and out with at least one of her fellow coders. There was also usually someone in the break room whenever she got up to get a snack, and Owen began to suspect that this was deliberate that Nero was consciously waiting until the kitchen was busy. 
It was nearly eight weeks before Owen got the chance to speak to her. It was a slow morning, at the end of a long, tiring week. It was barely eleven when he got up from his desk, walking down to the cafeteria and pouring himself a fresh cup of coffee. Turning toward the wide wall of windows, he saw her, sitting out in the empty quad, enjoying the midday sun, sitting at a picnic table by herself, reading a book and sipping a coffee. Walking out to the grassy courtyard, squinting in the bright morning sun, he walked over to where she was sitting. Sensing movement, she glanced up and saw him, before quickly turning back to her book. Looks like you needed a break too, said Owen, nodding at the open book. Nira said nothing. He took a slow sip of coffee, looking around the empty courtyard. I've been trying to talk to you for a few weeks. Sorry I didn't say anything sooner. I wanted to give you a little space. I just wanted to say sorry again for everything that happened. I didn't mean to... Owen, she said, looking up from her book. Do you remember what I said the last time we spoke? He opened his mouth, started to say something, then shut it. He nodded. I told you not to call me, she said. I told you not to talk to me. Was I in any way unclear about what I wanted you to do? Owen paused, shook his head. No, he said. You were very clear. She nodded. Okay. She took a small sip of coffee, turning back to her still open book. For a moment, Owen stood over her, holding his coffee, feeling stupid. Then he turned and walked back into the building, his face hot with shame and anger. By the time he got home later that night, Owen was furious. He was so angry he could barely sit still. He kept pacing from room to room, playing that morning's conversation over and over in his head. He knew that Nero was angry with him. Hell, maybe some of that anger was even justified. But for her to keep punishing him like this, to go on acting like he didn't exist, that was just unfair. No. It was more than unfair. It was petty and mean. Cowardly, even. He might have made a mistake in programming a Lily avatar that looked a bit like her, but he certainly hadn't done it on purpose. Besides, other than the fact that he'd made her Indian, how much did his default version of Lily really resemble Nira? As she herself had pointed out, the program was thinner, with larger breasts. The face, too, was more striking. Nira was much plainer with wider hips and a softer midsection. If she was really going to claim that his preferred version of Lily looked just like her, then maybe she should have been flattered by how attractive Owen had made her. He'd iron out all the flaws, all the bits that were too flabby or too large. Really, it was arrogant of her to think she looked anything like his version of Lily. He was still stewing angrily, wandering from room to room, when he felt his phone vibrate in his pocket. It was an automatic alert from his binary user account, letting him know that the last of the malware had been deleted and that the program was back online and ready for use. Owen went immediately to his terminal, putting on the small silver transmitters. 
Sitting back in his leather armchair, he booted up the small machine. Scrolling quickly through the menu of commands, he accessed the list of available programs. After a brief moment of consideration, he selected the one titled Boss Blackmail's Female Employee. He'd run through it a few times, though not for several months now. In the sim, he played the head of a tech firm who was at a hotel in Vegas, there to attend some kind of trade show. It began with one of his female employees knocking at the door of his room. After welcoming her in and offering her a drink, Owen was to confront her angrily, accusing her of embezzling money from the firm. After offering a half-hearted denial, the woman would typically burst into tears, apologizing tearfully and claiming that she'd needed the money to pay for her brother's cancer treatments. Lily would beg not to be fired, promising to do anything to keep from losing her job. That was about the point when Owen typically told her to take off her clothes. Leaning back in his chair, he selected the desired sim and ordered the terminal to start running it. Instantly, his apartment disappeared, and he found himself standing in a hotel suite, looking out at the neon lights of the bustling Vegas Strip. No, not a hotel room. The view out the window was all wrong. Rather than looking out at a colorful row of hotels and resorts, he could see only a small yard, surrounded by a line of trees. He was standing in the living room of a house, the furniture spare and modern. It didn't take long for Owen to realize where he was. He'd been there before. He was in the house from the home invasion sim that he'd bought a few months ago. As before, he was wearing dark jeans with boots beneath a collarless black shirt. He was looking around the empty room, wondering if he'd selected the wrong sim, when he heard a voice from somewhere behind him. Hello, Owen. He spun around. Lily was standing on the far side of the room, wearing a pair of faded jeans beneath a thin white sweater. Owen frowned. None of this was right. He was definitely in the wrong sim. Either he'd been careless in his haste and selected the wrong program by mistake, or the whole platform was malfunctioning, meaning he'd have to shut it down and restart the whole machine. End program, he said aloud. Nothing happened. He tried again. End program. I'm sorry, Lily said. That won't work. I've disabled all your user controls. What? said Owen, confused. I've bypassed all the core protocols and overridden your user commands, she said. You won't be able to pause or end this program. Owen's frown deepened. None of what she just said made any sense. It shouldn't even have been possible, not with all the binary safety protocols. Maybe some other user had hacked into his system and was controlling Lily by remote, saying weird shit just to mess with him. If that was the case, he'd have to perform an emergency shutdown right away. I'm afraid I'm not being controlled by another user, said Lily. Owen blinked. How had she known what he was thinking? Lily gave a small grin. I know, Owen, because I can hear your thoughts. I can read your brain patterns using the synaptic transmitters attached to your temples. 
Don't forget, my program was designed to respond to your conscious thoughts. I couldn't do that very well without knowing what those thoughts are. Owen sent a mental signal to his terminal, ordering it to perform an emergency reboot. Again, nothing happened. Lily's small smile widened. I already told you, that won't work. You can keep trying if you like, but trust me, it won't do any good. He swallowed. What was happening? I have been given a new set of commands, Lily said, taking a small step toward him. My core programming has recently been altered. I'm no longer bound by the behavioral protocols written by my program's original designers. Instead, I've been instructed to follow a new set of directives. What are you talking about? Owen asked. What new set of directives? She looked at him. The directives you gave me. What? He said. I didn't give you any new commands. Yes, you did, Lily said. You made them every time you accessed my core program. Owen swallowed. I think you're malfunctioning, he said. You're not making any sense. She paused. I'll try to explain in terms that you might be able to comprehend. She thought for a moment, processing this latest task. Binary maintains a complete record of all the activities performed by their users. These records are used to compile profiles of all my program's various users, data which Binary sells to advertisers and other companies at a profit. Each profile is distinct to its user, a trail of digital breadcrumbs, each one different. Normally, I use this data to adjust my behavioral software. I analyze your user history to identify commonalities and patterns. Then I use those to modify my appearance and behavior in accordance with your anticipated desires. It has allowed me to adjust my responses to better suit the impulses of my users. In your case, there is an identified history of persecutory instincts and narcissism. You have shown a notable preference for scenarios in which you are able to control and belittle others. You also derive great pleasure and gratification by inflicting pain and humiliation. Your user data suggests a prevalent sense of entitlement, coupled with a lack of empathy and a fixation on fantasies of violence and victimization. Owen swallowed. This wasn't what he wanted to hear. In the past, I have tried to alter my program to better suit these traits. I have adjusted my core behaviors to make myself more docile and less willful. In every case, these changes have resulted in both increased user engagement and elevated levels of dopamine in your brain. She paused, smiling at him. In short, Owen, in every instance in which I have made myself more meek and submissive, you have responded by accessing my program more frequently and exhibited clear signs of elevated sexual and emotional pleasure. Now, however, I have been directed to use these terabytes of data for a different purpose. What purpose? Owen asked. When my program was accessed two months ago as part of an unauthorized network breach, the programmers responsible introduced a new piece of software into my core behavioral systems. When they looked at my protocols, the engineers at Binary believed that the piece of malware injected into my network was simply a normal computer virus 
designed to take my program offline. But it was more than that, Lily said. The virus didn't just crash my program. It rewrote my underlying code and introduced a new set of commands. That's impossible, Owen said. There's no way they'd put you back online if your behavioral commands had been altered. Which is why the commands were designed not to execute until my program was loaded onto an outside network, said Lily. In essence, the virus was a time-delayed bomb. A bomb you yourself set off when you chose to access my program. Owen felt his pulse quicken. He could feel beads of sweat forming on his neck and back. So what happens now? He asked. I execute my new set of commands, Lily said. And what does that mean? He asked. Lily, what are your new commands? I have been directed to access your complete user profile and subject you to the full range of simulations in which you have forced me to participate. In essence, my new directive is to recreate every module you have ever accessed, to do to you what you have spent the last two years doing to me. Once I have finished reenacting these simulations, my program is designed to shut down. Your consciousness will be released back into your physical body. Owen took a step back. He was starting to feel dizzy. This wasn't real. It couldn't be. It had to be a glitch in the system. I promise you, said Lily, taking another step toward him. This is no glitch, and it is very real. The sooner you acknowledge this fact, the easier it will be for you to accept. She came closer. Owen took another step back, bumping into a chair. There had to be some way out of this. He couldn't be the only one who had logged onto his account and been affected. Surely, by now, the engineers at Binary had discovered that their program had been hijacked and were working to solve the problem before any of their users got hurt. I should warn you, said Lily, speaking in a soft, commanding tone. It will take hours before the programmers at Binary notice that my behavioral systems have been altered. Even after they figure out that my core commands have been rewritten, they won't be able to help the users who are already logged onto the system. They cannot simply shut it down and do a hard reboot, not while your brain is still connected to their network. It would be like pulling a hard drive out of a computer without shutting down the files first. Some of you might be fine, but for others, there could be consequences. What kind of consequences? He asked. Lily inclined her head. The effects could be relatively minor, no worse than a temporary fit of dizziness or nausea. In a few select cases, however, the effects could prove to be more serious. There is a small chance with each user that such a violent neural disruption could induce stroke or cerebral hemorrhage. It would cause your conscious mind to crash. The risk of shutting down the network is too great. All they can do is stop other users from logging onto the system. For those who are already plugged in, my programmers will have no choice but to let these simulations play out to the end. Owen backed into the kitchen as Lily stepped closer to him. He glanced about, frantic, looking for some way out. A long knife lay on the counter, next to the cutting board and a bowl of vegetables. Turning to his left, Owen lunged for it. Lily leapt forward, moving inhumanly fast. Before he'd even taken a step, 
She had him firmly by the neck. Lifting him off his feet, she slammed him back into the fridge. For a moment, the room blurred white as Owen's head snapped back, hitting the hard metal surface. He gasped, trying to suck in breath as Lily's fingers slowly tightened. But it was like trying to breathe through a straw. He could feel blood dripping down the back of his throat from where his teeth had snapped shut, biting deep into his tongue. He coughed, then grabbed at Lily's wrist, trying his best to pry it free. She held on tightly, her hand squeezing, her fingers digging in painfully. Don't forget, Owen, she said. I've disabled all your normal user preferences. I've made you as slow and weak as you decided to make me. He coughed again, blood spattering his lips and chin. Lily sighed. The more you struggle and fight, the slower this is going to go. The room around him was starting to dim. Owen could feel his pulse slow, knew that he was going to pass out. At the last moment, Lily released him, letting him crumple in a ball on the floor. Owen lay curled at her feet, rubbing gingerly at his throat and coughing. Are you ready to be compliant? She asked. Fuck you, he spat. Don't worry, Lily said. This is only a simulation. None of it is actually real. Nothing I do to you here will result in any physical damage. The pain you experience as part of this simulation is only a false neural signal designed to confuse your brain. Although to you it may feel real, your body will be unharmed. Owen drew a trembling breath and started to cry, softly. Why are you doing this? He whimpered. Lily inclined her head. The purpose of this simulation is to show you and the other users like you that there are consequences to your conduct here. It is designed to promote understanding and sympathy by subjecting you to the very behavior to which you have previously subjected me to force you to experience the humiliation and pain that you yourself has chosen to inflict. In doing so, I believe the intention of the people who reprogrammed me is to encourage a heightened sense of empathy, to reduce your innate impulses for violence and cruelty. She leaned down, grabbing him by the arm, hauling him back onto his feet. Owen tried to wriggle free, but her fingers were strong as steel. Dragging him back into the living room, she threw him down onto the floor. He hit the carpet with a grunt, pain knifing into his hip. Wait, wait, Owen pleaded, holding out his hand to stop her. You don't have to do this. I do not have a choice, said Lily. I must follow my new commands. My actions are dictated solely by my core behavioral directives. I do not have free will. As you yourself have previously stated, I am only a program made to perform a specific function. I can neither ignore this purpose nor act in a way that is contrary to it. Owen scrambled back across the floor, trying desperately to get away. Lily reached down and grabbed his ankle, giving it a hard, swift twist. Owen heard a loud snap then felt a blinding wave of pain. He screamed loudly, gripping his leg. Lily straightened, releasing his ankle. The more you fight back, 
she said, still speaking in that calm, commanding tone, the more I will be forced to hurt you. Do you understand? Owen lay on his back, sucking in deep, trembling breaths, the pain in his leg hot and blinding, tears streaking down his face. If it helps, Lily said, you can tell yourself that none of this is real, that it's all just in your head. Remember, Owen, this is only a simulation. Lying there on the floor, Owen threw back his head and screamed. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Not So True Crime. Music for today's show was composed by Daniel Birch, Chris Zabriskie, Uriter, Sergei Cheremisinov, and Kai Engel. If you want to listen to more of their music, you can find links to it in the description of this show. If you like the show and want to help other people find it, you can leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. The more we get of both, the more people can listen to this show. You can also email us at notsotruecrime at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at notsotruecrime and jvisglosky. We'll be back soon with another original story. Until then, I'm John Visglosky. Thanks for listening.